0: And welcome back to the Armbar. I'm Matt Ferreira. And I'm Ezra. And of course, we're still in a lockout. And before we get into that, I, we do want to say that we, as college athletes, are quite busy people, class, baseball, et cetera, et cetera. So we will be moving the Armbar to every other week rather than every week, as I'm sure you guys noticed. There was no episode last week. Our schedule's a little crazy now. And with the season just starting up, it's gonna get even crazier. So we're gonna move to a biweekly setup. I'm sure you all understand. But back to the lockout, there's not a lot happening except for what was it, Matt? Five meetings in the past five days, and we still have nothing.
1: Yeah. So Manfred came out and said that if they didn't have a meet, if they didn't have come to an agreement by next Monday, so in two days, that games would be lost for the regular season, and that um the payment won't be made up to players and that owners would lose money too so that was crucial that they came to a deal and in the last 5 days they've had five meetings that have basically done little to nothing
0: yeah today uh the last meeting was described by people that were a part of it as hostile they were saying that uh, the the meetings in the past five days have made a inch by inch progression to a deal rather than what they were hoping would just be a deal by now. And I think we were all hoping it would be a deal by now. And, you know, yeah. at, at this point, we're not really surprised. We just want a season at some point. I, I want a season by, by April, at least some spring training or something of the sort, because I miss baseball. I miss baseball a lot, but, luckily for us there's always college baseball and i know there's a lot going on in that i of course as college athletes we know that that will be quite quite pertinent for us but matt you you brought something up to me when we sat down to start about a team that's uh, rising in the ranks recently now what's what's up with that
1: So my favorite story so far, obviously it's only been three games. Well, it's been a little more than three games, but after the weekend series, it was three games in and it's long beach state. They played at the time. It was the number three ranked Mississippi state and they took two out of three at Mississippi state in Mississippi, winning the first game three to nothing. And the second one, 13 to three, they dominated those first two games and, they moved up 12 spots in the rankings from 24 to 12 at the end of the weekend.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first saw the college baseball rankings, I was like, who is long beach state? And I mean, they're called the dirt bags, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen for a college team. But I saw them, I had to look into it and Oh my God, are they just tearing up baseball right now going into Mississippi and taking a game 13 to three to start the season after winning three nothing for the first game. It's unreal and I, it's just a great story and rising in the rankings, rightly so, against a very tough opponent. Now, Matt, you talked about your favorite story, but I'm talking about everybody's favorite story now, and that is Tommy Tanks out of NC State. Tommy White, a freshman from St. Pete Beach in Florida, attended the IMG Academy, of course, He's an infielder, and let's just say he, had, he uh, stormed onto the scene a little bit. He's, he started his college career against Evansville, and he went five for six with three bombs, six RBIs, five runs scored, followed it up the next day going two for four with a bomb, and I believe it was a grand slam, actually. Then the next day against Evansville, hit another home run, had another two RBIs. Then he, you know, kind of slumped his next two games against High Point and Longwood where he didn't have any home runs, but he still went a combined four for seven. And then just yesterday against Quinnipiac, he went two for five with two home runs, one of which being a grand slam again. And it's just the kid is he's our age. He is the same age as me. He's also a little bit bigger. He's 242. So obviously he's going to hit a little bit better than I do the PO at a D3 college. but oh, my God, what a start to a college career. He's probably already secured a draft spot at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. I don't know if he'll be draft eligible after this year, but he's definitely putting his name out there. And that's a good thing to do, especially as a freshman, as a starter at a ranked college. Like, you know he's going to be a good player. So,
0: Yeah, hitting with an OPS of over 2,000 in your first six games is pretty impressive. Seven bombs in six games is – unheard of at any level and especially with such high competition
1: yeah and before we uh move on from college baseball i would like to shout out my boys my favorite college team georgia tech yellow jackets going six and one their first seven so keep going boys and i'm also
0: going to shout out a uh, old guest of ours for getting noticed by the pitching ninja benny uh benny was posted he said uh how's my slider look And the Pitching Ninja responded, so pretty much one of our teammates is really cool. And on to the MLB news. Now, there's not a lot going on, but the Yankees made some news the other day when they decided they were going to retire Paul O'Neill's number. Now, let's start with just the Yankees in general. They have every number 1 through 10 retired. They have 15, 16, 20, 23, 32, 37, 42, 44, 46, 49, 51. And then, of course, the other 42 for Jackie Robinson. And now they're going to retire 21 because they want everybody on their team to wear obscure numbers at this point. I Like, no dig on Paul O'Neill, but, I mean, nine years with the Yankees, an impressive set of years. I mean, from his 30 to 38 season. He hit, uh, he hit 303 for them, had an OPS plus of 125, had a batting title during that time, four all-star games, but like, I don't know if he's real. is he really deserving of a number in Monuments Park and in, in, the, in Yankee Stadium? It's just, it seems a little random to me, you know?
1: Yeah, my favorite tweet about it was actually from Derek Carabas, uh, and he said, "If you play more than three career games for the Yankees, there's a 73 percent chance they'll retire a number." It was just something that made me laugh because, like Ezra said, they have a lot of retired numbers. At, at like, some point, you got to stop retiring so that people can actually wear numbers to play in. Pretty soon,
0: they're going to be wearing triple digits because the the thirty the the twenty six man roster isn't going to have enough numbers to use. I mean, everybody's there's a lot of guys in the league with numbers that who like to wear those low numbers, those single digits. I mean, number one is super famous. Number 10 is a great baseball number, but nobody on the Yankees will ever wear a single digit number. They won't wear anything one through 10. And pretty soon they're not going to be able to wear anything one through 25 or or 30 or something. It's just it's a lot and yes they've had a great history but is it really worth retiring every single player's number like Caraba said everybody's got a chance to get their number retired eventually 99 will probably be retired if Aaron Judge comes back in free agency I mean maybe they'll retire Stanton's 27 when he retires. I don't even know it's too much though
1: yeah I'm just like get some of these retired numbers and yes there's the greats like Babe Ruth Lou Gehrig Mickey Mantle but there's some players that they definitely have that are questionable I mean Reggie Jackson only played five years for the Yankees Andy Pettit played 15 years in New York but he he was good for a few years but I don't know if he was Jersey retirement like worthy I mean there's just some players I mean I know Thurman Munson won an MVP there in two world series, but like in the grand scheme of 27, is that Jersey retirement worthy again? So it's interesting. The Yankees obviously have a different standard for retiring jerseys than any other team does. So. Boo Yankees though. Um,
0: g- going off of that, though, we do have a future number retirement that is happening that has happened re- real recently. And that's Ryan Zimmerman just recently retired uh, during our brief hiatus. From the arm barn. And I think it's pretty safe to say that the Nats are going to retire his number as I'm pretty sure the first number to actually be retired by the Nationals. Obviously, there's the numbers retired by the Expos previously. But Zimmerman retiring, of course, he's only a two time All Star, which I found to be shocking when I looked into it. He has the World Series under his belt, a gold glove and two silver sluggers. But if you just look at how important he was to that team, most games played in Nats history, at bats, played appearances, run scored, hits, home runs, doubles, total bases, RBIs, strikeouts, unfortunately, but runs created, extra base hits, times on base, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. He leads in pretty much every in pretty much every offensive category, including uh, double plays grounded into. But he was a career Nat, was the first draft pick by the Nationals. And it's just, you know, it's sad to see a guy that was really that important to at least my childhood, not even as a Nats fan, but just a guy that was as recognizable as Ryan Zimmerman. To see him retire is sad, but a great career and definitely going to get his number retired by the Nats.
1: Yeah, like Ezra said, first traffic by the Nationals, taken fourth overall in 2005 and actually played in the MLB in 2005 for 20 games before being second rookie of the year in 06 um so just a guy that there's a reason why he's been the last few years has been called Mr. National um he's just one of the greatest players in Nationals history and he's one of those players that could potentially be Rushmore
0: worthy uh for sure and speaking of potential Rushmore worthy sticking with the Nationals theme Came out recently that Juan Soto turned down a 13-year, $350 million extension. Now, I'm not gonna say and he say, go go and say he's undeserving because he's probably a top five player right now, at least top five position player because he's fantastic. But a $350 million contract would be the third richest contract in MLB history, and he turned it down, like. I get that he thinks he deserves more because he probably deserves similar numbers to the bets and the trout, but it's a lot of money that he just turned down. And we know how uncertain baseball can be. You can get hurt and you can be screwed out of a career. So I don't know how smart it is to turn down a 13 year guarantee of $350 million. And obviously it's not all guaranteed, but A guarantee of at least whatever the guaranteed money was is a lot of money that I could only wish to get my hands on someday.
1: Yeah, I remember reading about it and I was uh, surprised. I'm trying to find the tweet right now. Uh, I believe he said he wanted around $400 million with an A, like, I know he wanted Max Scherzer AAV, which is 43 years old. I mean, 43, not 43 years old, 43 million (laughs) a year. Um, but it's, I think the 43 million year is realistic. Jeff Passan thinks the same. Um, he's a young player. He'll be at the end of his arbitration. He'll be 26. I think he could get a 400 even higher contract with the way that prices have been spiking and seeing how this new, uh, how the new deal will turn out. I think he could get over 400 closer to 500 potentially.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable. I just think that it's kind of crazy to think about how much he turned down. And you mentioned his age; he'll be 26 at the end of his arbitration. Now he's been in the league for four years, and I saw this stat that the number one prospect in um, in the MLB Orioles prospect, Adley Rutschman, the catcher. Uh, he's he's four months older than Juan Soto, who's been in the league for four years and is as I said, probably a top-five position player, if not just a top-five player in general. And that's just so crazy to think about how young he is and how long he's going to dominate the game of baseball.
1: Yeah, he finished second MVP voting last year. I mean, the Nationals basically weren't even worried about losing Bryce Harper because they saw how good Juan Soto was. So it's going to be interesting to see because the Nationals are obviously going to want to lock him up considering they didn't pay – scherzer and saw harper and turner for him to keep him on board so it would be interesting
0: yeah and going into our next point it is going to be a, a bit more uh somber note um in the tyler skaggs case eric kay a former staffer for the angels was found guilty of distributing fentanyl and giving Skaggs the drugs that ended up killing him in his in a hotel room in 2019, he's gonna face 20 years uh, to life in prison and up to a million dollar fine. I know it's three years after the the tragic death of Skaggs, but I'm glad that we're finally getting some sort of some sort of justice for him because I remember right after his death, the Angels organization was, I mean, no, obviously, reasonably so very distraught because he was just a great guy for the organization. I remember the we're nasty slogan was going viral because that's what Skaggs was saying, and the whole team bought into it. Ended up uh, throwing the no-hitter just in their first game back after his after returning to the field, and it was just a great moment and it's just as i said great to see that we're finally getting some justice for skagsy
1: yeah definitely and another notable thing that came out of the trial was some former uh angels players including matt harvey and cj crone had testified against eric k
0: that they had gotten drugs from him before so yeah bad guy uh very glad that he's he's out of the out of the league and behind bars because dude is not not deserving of uh, being able to do what he did. Now back on track with with baseball stuff. We with our tight schedule, we didn't have anything super planned out for a huge thing. So we're just going to get into the to the Rushmores today. We're going to keep the episode quick. Make sure everybody can have a good quick listen. And we're going with the Sparky Anderson clubs this week. We've got the Reds and the Tigers as our as our Rushmores. And I feel like there's a couple. We're gonna, I'm figure we should start with the Reds because there's a couple that just make sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Pete Rose, the all-time leader in hits, MVPs, World Three World Series, the rookie of the year, all-star games, galore, 17 of them, two gold gloves, a silver slugger, three batting titles a world series MVP and played 19 of his 24 years with the Reds should be in the hall of fame. We all know how I stand on that, but nothing else really needs to be said. He, he belongs in the hall of fame and of course on the Rushmore. And then Johnny bench also pretty obvious couple of MVPs, another rookie of the year, two world series with the Reds, 14 all-stars, 10 gold gloves, world series, MVP, MLB player of the year. One of the best all-around players. I mean, 389 bombs in his career, 2,000 hits, and one of, if not the best defensive catcher in 17 in a 17-year career. He started at age 19 and played until he was 35, and he only stopped playing because he was, had no knees pretty much. So, obviously, Pete Rose and Johnny Bench have got to be on the rush more.
1: Yeah, for sure. Pete Rose, also the all-time leader in for the Reds and at bats, play appearances, ho- hits, runs, doubles. Uh, like you said, rookie of the year, MVP, nineteen years had to be on there. Johnny Bench is the all-time leader in home runs for the Reds. Seventeen years there, two MVPs, rookie of the year, a World Series MVP went into. And- to go along with his two World Series rings, 10 gold gloves, one of the best all-around players in MLB history. I believe his home run record for a catcher was just broken last year by Salvador Perez. Um, Just testifies how good of a player he is with the increase of home runs over the past decade, two decades, that his record was still standing. Uh, Yeah, Ezra, who is your third?
0: Yeah, number three is a guy who I think is also very deserving, a a homegrown talent in Cincinnati, and that's Barry Larkin. Of course, also in the Hall of – excuse me. Also in the Hall of Fame, numbers, of course, retired, MVPs, 12 all-star game appearances, nine silver sluggers, three gold gloves, the World Series in 1990. He played for when he was 22 with the Reds. He finished his career when he was 40 with the Reds, a full 19-year career, all with the Cincinnati organization. So, of course, he's on there for me. He's also third, I believe, all-time in war for the Reds. Easy choice. Yeah,
1: he yeah, had that 1990 World Series. Like you said, nine silver Sluggers, three gold gloves, 12-time All-Star, MVP and Hall of Famer. Love seeing a guy that was born in his hometown, play for his hometown team his entire career.
0: So had to put him on there as well. And then with my last name, I had a little trouble deciding which to do because both of the guys that I was thinking of were were most most of their success. And not to say they didn't succeed any other place because they definitely did, did come with the red. So it was tough to decide, but... I put Frank Robinson as my guy on the Rushmore. And now there was a few reasons for it. Of course, one of the best hitters of all time, a 294 career average with almost 600 career home runs and almost 3,000 career hits. I can't read all of the things on his baseball reference because it just keeps going. But he began his career in 1956 with the Reds, played 10 years there and won an MVP there, rookie of the year, was close to winning the MVP several other times. In his, in the 1962 season, he led the MLB in runs, doubles, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, was first in the NL in OPS, and in OPS plus with 173. It was, so, it was so easy to know that he had to be on this list somewhere, but it was tough to decide if he was gonna be on the Rushmore, my honorable mention but I ultimately decided that he was going to be on the Rushmore.
1: Fred Robinson's also my fourth spot on my Rushmore. He's the Reds' all-time leader in slugging and OPS in only 10 years there compared to players that are seen as all-time greats who spent 19, 17 years there. Having him be the all-time leader in slugger and OPS in only 10 years shows how well he was in a Reds uniform.
0: And in 10 years, to keep that consistency is also extremely impressive, now, with my honorable mention, I'm pretty confident that me and Matt have the exact same lists because of him having, having Frank Robinson also on the Rushmore, and that my honorable mention has got to be Joe Morgan. Now, I didn't realize that he played 10 years at the beginning of his career with Houston and only played eight years with Cincinnati because when I think of him, think of him as a Red, and that's probably because every year he played with the Reds, he was an all-star, and he won two MVPs in back-to-back seasons. And he won two World Series and two MLB Player of the Years and is pretty much a consensus best second baseman of all time up there with Jackie Robinson. So it was pretty easy for me to decide that he was going to battle with Frank Robinson for the last Rushmore spot. But just like I said, he had to be my honorable mention.
1: Joe Morgan is my honorable mention for the exact reasons you listed with eight years, two MVPs, two World Series, two Player of the Years, and an All-Star Game MVP. But I actually also seriously considered putting Joey Votto as my as my honorable mention. He spent so long there. He's one of the top players all time. He's got, got a lot of the uh, records for the Reds in hitting that Pete Rose and Bench and Larkin and, and Robinson don't have. And uh, I, he's top five positional player in Reds history all time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And some other names that I was also considering, but ultimately, obviously didn't decide on. I mean, Tony Perez, of course, had to be in consideration. Dave Concepcion, George Foster, all those guys definitely crossed my mind. But in the end, how can you not say that Joel Morgan and Frank Robinson deserve to be there? Because they really do. Now on to the next team, the next Sparky Sparky Anderson club the team that he had 1,300 wins within his career, and that's the Tigers. And again, I think we're going to have pretty similar lists, at least to start off, because Ty Cobb, of course, has got to be on the Rushmore. He led the league in batting average 12 times in his career. He spent 22 out of his 24 years in Detroit with the Tigers. Only won one MVP, but I you can't really deny the fact that every single year, Pretty much on his baseball reference is in bold or italics. He's the all time leader in batting average over a career because he hit 366 over his career, which is unreal. So, obviously, Ty Cobb had to be on the rush more.
1: Yeah, Ty Cobb was also my first name, 24 years, all in Detroit, has his initials (laughs) retired by the Tigers because he didn't wear a number. Uh, Like you said, the MVP, Triple Crown, 12 batting titles, which is unreal. He's the Tigers' all-time leader in more batting average, on-base percentage, at-bats, runs, hits,
0: doubles, triples, RBIs, stolen bases. He was just an all-around player. Yeah, and speaking of an all-around player, we have my next name, and I'm pretty confident it's going to be your next name, and that's Al Kaline, the Baltimore native Hall of Famer. Duh. He has the 1968 World Series to his name, a 22-year career, with the tigers and i'm not going to list all of his statistics because it's just insane he's got over 3k almost 400 home runs easy to put him up there
1: yeah 22 years most games played with the tigers which is a hard thing to achieve concerning they're such an old franchise you won a batting title Tangle gloves 18 all-stars got that world series and had to be on there for me as well
0: Yeah. And then my next guy is, it was tough because as you said, Matt, old franchise, a lot of great names, but I'm going recent with this one because I couldn't not have Miguel Cabrera on here. The Triple Crown really was just the icing on the cake for me. The two MVPs, of course. And he did start with the Marlins. So this is I I believe my first guy that will be on two rushmores but he he came into his own as a tiger at the age of 25. He's spent 14 out of his 19 years thus far. He's about to crack that 3000 hit mark in the coming years. He's over 500 home runs in his career. 11 all-stars, batting title four times, seven slu- silver sluggers, MLB player of the year twice a career average of 310 and a career OPS plus of 145 it's it he just had to be there
1: so Miguel Cabrera is actually my honorable mention like you said he was a great player in Detroit but I feel like there's a few more players that had a
0: little bit of a longer time there and were more deserving yeah and I think that this is where we're gonna sway a little bit for sure because I have my next and final name on the Rushmore as Hank Greenberg, who of course is a Hall of Famer and two two-time World Series champion, five All-Star games only in his career, which again was crazy to me, but given he only played thirteen years in the league, it's pretty impressive. He served in the arm in the armed forces in the Air Force uh, during World War II, during what would probably have been the prime of his career, and. The the guy Hammer and Hank was I I knew that once we decided on doing the Tigers I had to put him on there with no with no sort of regret or I just did it I just did it I had to
1: yeah Hank was not on my Mount Rushmore um, I'll wrap up with my final two names here for the third guy my Mount Rushmore I had Alan Trammell he's a six time All Star four gold gloves three silver sluggers guy did it all. He was the World Series MVP of 1984, in which he won the Detroit. He's their all-time leader in defensive war as at one of the toughest positions on the field, shortstop, and he spent 20 years with the Tigers. He's just been one of their best players and one of the most famous players in Tigers history. And for the last person on my Rushmore, I had uh, Hal Newhouser. He was a two-time MVP, triple crown, two-time ZRA title. He had the 1945 World Series, and he was one of the top lefty pitchers of all time. Top, ti- I'd say one of the, I would say the top Tigers pitcher of all time, and I had to have him on there on mine. Yeah,
0: for sure. I will have to disagree with one thing you said, and that's that he was the top Tigers pitcher of all time, because I think that the top Tigers pitcher of all time is going to be my honorable mention, and that's J.V. Justin Verlander. Obviously, we know him a lot for winning the World Series with the Astros. But he also made it to the World Series with the Tigers, which with one of the greatest rotations, looking back on it in recent memory. But JV, he won the MVP as a pitcher, which was something that hadn't been done in a while in the American League. He, with, with the Tigers, he played 13 of his 16 years so far with them and through over 2,500 innings, a career whip of just below 1.2, an ERA plus of 123 with them, the Cy Young, the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, ERA title, the pitching triple crown the year he won that MVP. He was just so good and is still so good somehow at the age of 38. Hopefully he can come back next year and produce, maybe not for the Astros because, you know, we want to see them not succeed. But all those things aside, I think that Justin Burlander is just so good. So I had to put him as my honorable mention for the Tigers. Now with that, I believe that we wrap up our shortened episode of the OnBarn. And again, thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy and have a good one.
1: Yeah, thank you for listening. Follow us on our socials at Armbarn Pod, and uh, good luck to all the college kids starting their season this week, and all the kids who've already started, and all the eyes are on you right now with this lockout, so good luck.